This week on The Mindful Femme, we're giving you all a news update. With so much going on in the news and around the world, we want to talk to our listeners about a variety of events and topics that are currently dominating the media. A lot of the things we'll discuss deal with general news, but we will be talking about some political topics, including Joe Biden's vice presidential nominee. While Casey and I don't feel completely qualified to speak on everything involving our country's crazy political climate, (laughs) we do feel it's important to have these conversations and to encourage our listeners to continue to stay engaged politically and, of course, vote this coming November. Extra, extra, hot off the presses. Okay, so my favorite phrase, let's dive in. Uh, We're going to start with politics. The first topic that we want to talk about is obviously the recent appointment of the vice presidential candidate for the Democratic Party, which is Kamala Harris. Um, And I just want to reiterate really quickly what you said, Abby. None of us feel completely qualified to talk about politics, and it is something that kind of puts people on edge A lot of times people just get different information and have different opinions. So we're trying to keep it as factually based as possible, but I'm not going to lie. I will undoubtedly give some of my own opinions in this episode today. Um, But this is kind of a conversation not to sway people, but just to, you know, like we always do, create conversation around what we're talking about in the podcast. So... Earlier this week, it was announced that Kamala Harris was going to be the Democratic Party running mate to Joe Biden. So we're just going to give you guys some more information first about who she is and some of her political accolades and more about her political career. So she was elected to the U.S. Senate as a Democrat in 2016, and she represents the state of California. And a lot of people find this nomination really historical because she's a woman of color, She is both Indian American and a black American. Her dad is of Jamaican descent and her mother is from India. She served as attorney general um, of California from the year 2011 to 2017. And we're also gonna talk about some of her policies. So what she stands for. So for one, she's really passionate about criminal justice reform. And she actually wrote a book called Smart on Crime. And this is now considered the example for how Um, for combating the problem of criminal recidivism in the United States. So for those of you who don't know what criminal recidivism is, it basically is how criminals leave the prison system and then they relapse into criminal behavior. And this is really common in the U.S. It's 43% likelihood that released prisoners um, experience criminal recidivism or are released from jails and commit other crimes and go back into the prison system. So, from her 2015 campaign for the California Senate, she ran on the principles of immigration and refugee crisis and criminal justice reform. Um, She supported increasing the minimum wage and protecting women's reproductive rights. And she's probably most well-known for how much of a hard-ass she is um, in the Senate hearings when it came to questioning Jeff Sessions in 2017 in regard to suspected collusion from the 2016 presidential election. And... I mean, a lot of people put her under fire because she kind of, it was like she prosecuted him, but I'm here for it. She has a background in law enforcement and I support it and we needed answers. So I'm not mad at her at all. 
Um, but she also <laughs> she also worked to protect the Affordable Care Act and protect families from home foreclosure for the working class um, when they were engaged in lawsuits w- against big banks. So she definitely stands for the working class, definitely stands for the underdog, um, has a lot of refugee, like I said, refugee and immigration issues under her belt. So that's just a little bit of her policy. But as most of you now know, um, she was running for the presidential office for this upcoming 2020 election, and she announced her candidacy back in January of 2019. But by December, she had to withdraw her campaign because of lack of funding. Okay, so that's a little bit about Kamala Harris. What are your thoughts, Abby? Yeah, I have so many thoughts because I feel like as soon as this nomination was announced, there was so much I know that whenever a VP gets announced, there's a lot of evaluation that goes on. People start looking into their history mm-hmm. of that person, understanding their political background, like what policies they've supported in the past. But this time felt so scrutinizing of her. Like I have seen so many people just going absolutely in, like yeah. really digging. And I think that's important, but I also think it's interesting because of the powers that a vice presidential candidate has like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of evidence that in reality unless your president dies there's not that much power that a vice president has throughout their time in office Mm -hmm. they're an image and I think one thing that I definitely thought right away as soon as I heard her nomination I was like um, her strengths really complement Joe's weakness as well. Mm, so, like, okay. Biden sucks at public speaking. He sounds like, you know, <laughs> an old man who will sit in a rocking chair long, on the front yeah. porch and, like, talk to the mailman. Okay. Like, I don't know. He just – he makes no sense. And Kamala, like you said, she has that, like, legal background. She used to be a prosecutor. She knows how to use ethos when she speaks. And, like, mm, just – I remember in the debates, she was so, like, gripping when she spoke. And I, I – half the time I was like, I don't even know if I agree with you, but I just feel like you're – like, the way like you're speaking convicted. is so convincing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think her, like – public speaking skills will go great with joe's mm-hmm. i mean against joe's but <laughs> yeah yeah so i thought that was interesting and i think again like what you spoke about her background and i mean something that is also really interesting is all of those positions that she's held in the past you know being the attorney general um and other positions she was like the first woman or the first black woman mm-hmm. in most of those positions um she's always had that in her history like she's been facing adversity clearly in her entire career um so I honestly I think if anyone can do this it would be her yeah wow that's so inspiring when you say it like that um (laughs) but yeah I agree I think she's a visionary she's somebody who's always made waves in the political climate and I think it's great you know it's great to see a woman of color out there representing Um, And trying to research more for this, it was kind of hard for me because I used to work in political media, but truthfully, it's not something that I have ever naturally gravitated towards. Um, But I think from my time working in it, I always want to stay as non-biased as possible um, and just, like I said, just give the facts. And I know some people, even people that identify as liberals, were feeling a way about her being the Democratic vice presidential nominee. 
um, because apparently there are some things that she has stood for in the past that, you know, people don't 100% support. Um, I couldn't really figure out what those things were, so that was kind of confusing. But um, do you do you know any? I think in general she has been caught on the wrong side of some um, policies involving police situ like policing situations. Okay. I think okay. because of her position, she <clears throat> was often working like basically alongside police. Gotcha. So. There's some, like, arguments around that. There's some policy that I think she signed off on where um, within Oakland, which is where she was, um, where she grew up and then where she was working, I think, I think it was within Oakland. She helped sign off on something where um, parents could get arrested for their students their kids not going to school like in public school for a certain number of days like they had to have a certain amount of attendance or else they could like basically face charges or be tried in court and a lot of people were like why would you sign off on that that's really dumb and like um and there was something else too um I think earlier in her career she also has been seen as basically supporting the institutional system like prison system um and also joe biden has been kind of seen as that too so that's kind of on both of them um yeah but also like you were saying like in some of the things that she supports like she's pretty progressive in a lot of the policies that she does support and will stand for um so but obviously i also trump says that she's like the most progressive person ever i'm like (laughs) dude have you met like elizabeth warren like bernie (laughs) like and i think you know when it comes down to it the reality is that we want the people in office to be these perfect individuals that exactly align with everything that we support and believe in Mm -hmm. um but the nature of our current political system is very much so that you, each of us individually, has to identify what is important to us to see from our government and what is important for us to enact as a nation and pick the candidates that align most closely with that. Um, there's been a lot of attempts to roll back, um, you know, health care for women, taking away like women's reproductive rights. And so that is bothersome, you know? It's bothersome for me as a woman. Yeah. It's bothersome to all the women out there. We recently had a really essential um, climate protection law that was rolled back that would have prevented greenhouse gases, like a certain degree of greenhouse gases being released into the atmosphere. The Trump administration just rolled that back. It's really dangerous. Um, And so when I think of, you know, like what this campaign is going to stand for, things that both Biden and Kamala have supported in the past. I'm like, environmentalism is really important to me. Reproductive rights for women is really important to me. These are candidates that are going to help put more legislation in place to protect those rights and hopefully reinstitute a lot that has been undone by the Trump administration. So I'm like, time is running out, people. Like, we need to vote. But yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah so, you know, I think... Again, as much as we want our candidates to be perfect, we want them to line up on all of our same issues. It it can't it can't be like that all the time. Not in a two party system. Am I'm I not, right? Uh, you're <laughs> right. <laughs> um, okay, so that is our political update for this episode. And speaking of elections and voting, 
Let's talk about the U.S. postal system and how this can affect our ballots this November. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, another scary one. So, um, more background on this as well. A new postmaster general, Louis DeJoy, was appointed this past May, and he plans to make a lot of changes to the way our current postal system is run. So part of the changes he wants to make include cutting back on overtime cost. And this basically means that late-arriving mail is going to be left behind at mail carriers and delivered the next day. And that includes all types of mail. So it doesn't matter how much money you pay for that first-class mail, that first-class mail is not going to make it in one day. So um, this also includes election ballots, which is really important. And, yeah, and really unfortunate that it's happening during an election year and also suspicious. Um, so, so far lawmakers in Congress are objecting to the changes mostly because they would affect how the state of Montana receives their mail and result in, uh, potential, like, late bill pays if people mail in their bills, uh, prescription deliveries, which is obviously essential if people have life-threatening diseases that require medication, and in general just other commercial orders that wouldn't make it to people's homes in a timely manner. So, to do this during an election year is incredibly risky and... DeJoy has a history of donating millions of dollars to the Republican Party campaigns and the Trump campaign in particular. Oh, I should have seen it coming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he's actually, I think he is the largest donor to the Trump campaign. What? Um, yeah. Let me, I'm going to fact check, but as I was doing research for this, yes, I did see that. Um, and so, you know, that's scary and problematic. And with there being a global pandemic, it's projected that up to 70% of voting this election cycle will be done through the mail because of absentee ballots and vote-by-mail options. So what are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) So in his public statement, Louis DeJoy basically said, Yes, I am close to Donald Trump, but nothing I'm doing right now has anything to do with him or the election. (laughs) Okay. So he just wants to arbitrarily, like, switch up the mail system. Um, In a public statement, he said, quote-unquote, there's ample capacity to deliver all election mail securely and on time, end quote. However, I'm going to begin another quote of his, there might be a problem if local election administrators or voters don't take into account how long mail delivery usually takes. Oh, <laughs> so oh. I'm just going to like take this opportunity to step up on my soapbox. So my problem is this. You mean to tell me that our mailing system that has been in place for years is now undergoing renovations at one of the most pivotal moments in our nation's modern history? And you're also telling me that it's not the Postal Service's job, a.k.a. the entity that is changing everything, to ensure people who continue to use its services that mail is delivered in a timely manner? So they're basically putting the job on election administrators and voters themselves. Um, All right. So what about our age population that might lack access to this information, might not be aware of the changes that are being made, but also constitutes the highest voting population as of right now? And what happens if they don't know? What happens if they don't know, Abby? (laughs) I don't know. This is so friggin' (laughs) stupid. And so, insult to injury. There was Trump's tweet last week that said the post offices will not be able to handle (laughs) the mailed ballot influx. And this was after Nevada, the local government of Nevada, released a statement saying they were going to mail all registered voters in the state a ballot. But alas, the aim of this podcast is not to create (laughs) chaos. 
So we're not going to stir you guys up. I mean, sorry, we already did, but don't fear. We'll drop, <laughs> we'll drop some resources at the end of this podcast so that we can collectively find a way to prevent further postal service reform shenanigans. I have so many, I have so many questions. <laughs> I was about to change my vote to an absentee because right now it's an in-person but should i just keep it out in person like should i not be trusting the system right now i was about to do the same thing i think i already requested absentee and i'm about to just go vote in person Um, yeah i'm voting in person i got my mask i'll stay six feet yeah i'll wait in a line yeah i'll do i'll bring my hand sanitizer but i'll be my vote (laughs) is not getting lost in the mail yeah exactly that and actually quick backstory this is how ludicrous all of this is So for the primaries that took place in November, because I was living in Spain, I asked to have all of my um, voting sent to me through absentee ballot. And, you know, you're sent them one at a time. So for the election that took place, I think it was back in February, I believe. It was late January, early February. um, I mailed in an absentee ballot. And then I still had on my record, like I had requested all these absentee ballots for all of the elections taking place in 2020. So when I was home in March... And we had that other primary coming up, I think that took place in May. Um, I tried to go vote and I couldn't because I was registered in Blacksburg, Virginia. No. And yeah, and my absentee on my record, it still said I had requested all these absentee ballots. I had never received the absentee ballot that I requested no. for that primary re- election. And when I reached out to the voting administrators, they were like, oh, well, it's just a Republican primary anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But, yeah, you can't vote. And I'm like, um, it's actually very important that I vote in a Republican primary. It's probably more important than anything. Um, So, yeah, they didn't give a damn. But, oh, and what was crazy about all of that was that it said on my voting record that I had, in fact, voted. And I had to reach out to them. Yeah, it said that I had voted. And I said, excuse me, you never even sent me my absentee ballot to vote in this election. And they were like, oh, that must just be a mistake in our system. I'm not sure why it says that. And so at that point, I was like, you know what? No. I have to make sure that I do not vote by absentee in November because I just don't trust it. Yeah, I think at this point, this is just a reminder that people need to not just be pro-voting. You need to be actively voting, which means you need yeah. to right now go to the Virginia voting website and make sure your address is updated to the mm-hmm. correct address. I know it's the votes in November, but you should do it now. Do it now. Check and make sure your address is right. Check and make sure you're registered with your party. And then make sure you make make the choice for yourself. Based on what the information that I was just given, I'm just going to vote in person. <laughs> I'm going to wait in a line. I'm yeah. going to keep my distance. I'll wear my mask. I'll be fine. But just know that if you are going to vote by absentee, you, you're going to be needing to vote basically a month ahead of time and have yeah. your absentee ballot and send it with the correct envelope, all that crap. Just be vigilant, please. This exactly. year, it matters so be much. Vigilant. Yeah. Yes. Okay. okay. So, yeah, let's officially like stop stressing about politics for a second. <laughs> now we got to stress about other stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, guys, some of the news this this uh, episode is going to be kind of heavy, mm-hmm. um, but it is, it's just important that we talk about this stuff. And I think I've been kind of avoiding some sad news recently just to keep my mental sanity. And that's good. Yeah. But when you have the time, you should really take the time, like pause this episode right now. If you're feeling kind of down, come back yeah. in a little bit because yeah. you do need to listen to this information. It's important that we stay informed right now. Mm-hmm. Um So I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about the explosion that happened in Beirut um, about a week, 
ago, a little over a week ago. Um, and again, this isn't going to be super political. It's going to be pretty fact-based. Um, so there were two explosions uh, that happened in Beirut at their port um, from the same location. They occurred on August 4th. The first one was a bit smaller, and the second one happened at 6.08 p.m., and it was much larger, and that's the explosion that you probably saw videos of if you were on social media. And this happened in a warehouse in Beirut's port. Um, I'll talk about what the what the explosives were in a minute, but just wanted to talk about the sheer force of that second explosion. This explosion flipped cars. It blew out car doors and house doors. It broke windows. It caused walls to collapse. And this is all within five kilometers of the blast. And reportedly broke windows as far away as nine or ten kilometers from Beirut's port. Wow. Wow. And that is like, that is shocking. That's miles and miles away. There, I don't know if anyone else has seen on social media, but I have seen maps circulating of a lot of different cities, including like the Nova area in D.C., mm-hmm. what the blast would, radius would look like if the explosion happened in D.C. And it is shocking that it reaches like, I don't know if you've seen that, Casey, but it like reaches yeah. Reston. Yeah, it's crazy. I Wow. Yeah. I mean, even hearing you talk about it again. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God. I just can't imagine being in that situation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so. The explosions, which were on a Tuesday, they were preceded uh, by a fire at that warehouse, according to the Lebanon's um, national news agency. So that's what they think kind of like ignited the explosive, Mm, the explosives. Um, So there were local reports that the warehouse contained fireworks and in several videos posted online, colored flashes could be seen from like the smoke that was rising from that fire just before the explosion. So people think that there were fireworks um but the main explosive material was this large amount of explosive material that was seized by the government years ago um and they were materials that were confiscated from a russian ship remember this is a port so they were confiscated from like a a ship a russian ship passing through they said you can't have this kept them in this warehouse and they sat in this port's warehouse for close to seven years Oh my god! Just, just the ticking time bomb, literally, just waiting to go off. Wow. Um, yeah. So, uh, according to Lebanese officials, the explosive material was ammonium nitrate, um, which is commonly used in both fertilizer and in bombs. Oh my god! So I'm not, I'm not sure what that Russian ship was using it for, or transporting it to or from, but, um, yeah, this was like a known explosive that was just sitting in this warehouse as confiscated materials, but was never dealt with or disposed yeah. of properly. So, yeah, as of um, yesterday, uh, August 13th, Beirut's death toll has passed 170 people mm-hmm. and over 6,000 people are wounded. Uh, the mm-hmm. most shocking number to me is that an estimated 300,000 people are homeless right now in Beirut. Oh, my God. Because when that explosion happened entire buildings crumbled to the ground like the and the fact that only 170 people died is and i mean 6000 people wounded that's insane but so many people lost their infrastructure from this explosion mm. um one of the city's largest hospitals had to shut down um and one of the most central hospitals it had to shut down and send people to other medical centers because every floor of the hospital was damaged Um, yeah. And 
this is kind of an interesting piece. I think some people, as soon as they heard about the explosion, were like, why? They -hmm. thought it was kind of a terrorist move or that it was strategic. So less than a mile from the explosions, the Kataeb party, which was a Christian, is a Christian political group that used to be one of Lebanon's most powerful um, groups, um, was holding a meeting at their headquarters. So very close to the explosion. And the party's general secretary, um, Nazar Najarian, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm sorry if I'm not. But Mm. he was wounded by falling debris um, during the explosion and then later died from these injuries. Some people are kind of using the death of this political figure as like, oh, maybe it was a planned explosion. Maybe it was planned that it went off when it did, that someone basically sparked that um, explosion. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's still very unclear right now what caused the explosion. Like, if it was strategic, if there's some you know motive there, it's it's just yeah. not clear yet. It's very early in investigations, and um, Lebanon's government is insisting that they will not rest until justice is served and until those who are responsible for the explosions are identified. Um, But at the same time, they're just not handling the situation very well. The Lebanese government keeps no centralized list of people who have been wounded or are dead. And Mm. a really interesting excerpt I found from Beirut's governor, Marwan Aboud, and he said, there is no list of the missing so we can look for them. Usually in situations like this, you put together a list and then you search. We're searching without a list. We don't know when the search operation should end. Oh my god! Which just sounds horrifying. Yeah. Um, there are little. Apparently, there are like little places popping up where people can go and give. I like get tested, like blood tests, and um, give identification in some way so that they can find family members. Um, but the system right now is just really not supporting the citizens and yeah. because of that protests have erupted across lebanon against the government for their failure to even prevent these explosions um oh, because clearly yeah. those materials sitting in there for years that's horrible management right um, right and there's been i mean that's joining a larger series of protests that have been t- taking place in the country since 2019 um around other political things going on um but actually a few days ago the prime minister hassan diab and the lebanese cabinet like most of the people in charge resigned due to political pressure that was exacerbated by the explosion so right now the country's just in a lot of turmoil politically physically that's dangerous because that's opening up a power vacuum that someone's got to fill yep exactly it with an unstable government and people who clearly need support right now it's like who's going to try and grab that power i don't know yeah so it's a very worrisome situation and um i'll put resources down below there's lots of places you can donate and just again doing things like this like keeping yourself educated on things going on that aren't happening in the united states even though you know there's a lot going on here there's horrible situations happening right now and beirut's not the only place but you need to keep yourself tuned into this kind of stuff you know yeah. And I think um, one thing you said earlier, yeah, for our listeners, if you do need to take a break, personally, I've been feeling like there is so much going on in the world right now, and it's kind of hard to be on top of everything. 
So, you know, for all of the social media activists out there right now that are feeling like they need to hop on every single issue and be aware of every single thing in order to speak in an educated manner about it, it's okay to not know 100% of the issues that you're learning about and that you care about. And it's sometimes okay to just listen. And I'm only saying this because I felt a little bit of pressure. And Abby, you and I were talking about this earlier this week like pressured to identify with everything going on in the news and everything going on in the media and the world Mm -hmm. and pressured to prove on our social media accounts that, you know, we are on top of it and we care and we're sharing resources and educating people about it. But sometimes listening and just having conversations in your home or with your friends is just as important. And so if you're feeling burnt out, if you're feeling tired, like don't, you know, shut down, just take space and don't feel the pressure to perform, to be a performative activist. Um, but I know this issue really hit close to home for a friend of ours. And, you know, even if it wasn't me posting on my social media and being like, hey, oh my God, like, here's everything happening in Lebanon, I just felt it was important for me to reach out to her and be like, hey, how are you doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just felt like when this explosion was like all over social media I honestly was very not dismissive but just being ignorant I was like I have too much on my plate right now I literally cannot watch a video of an explosion right now like I Mm -hmm. emotionally Mm -hmm. can't do it um but when you tune out like that you're you're setting a cycle you're setting a habit for yourself and like Casey said by all means take those breaks when you need breaks and you don't need to be a social media activist if that's not your medium you know like take in that information where you can but like you don't need to be posting about things all the time about every single issue but when I turned when I tuned out of that I basically had to do a ton of research this week on the topic that I had been ignoring for the past week and I felt horrible Mm -hmm. when I found all all this information and was like how could I have just been ignoring all of these people suffering you know Um, I just it was a wake-up call for me to just you know take breaks when you need to take breaks but also when you ignore something, put it on the back burner, come back to it because this is such an important topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll leave some resources in the description as always that will talk about some places you can donate. Um, but let's move on to our next topic, which is TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> Casey, are you a TikTok fan? You know, I'm fighting the sensation that's sweeping the nation, and I will only watch TikToks from the comfort of my Instagram Discover feed. I do not have the app. I have not downloaded it. I don't have a TikTok. I don't know why I'm resisting, but I'm going to like keep resisting. Well, you should, because you're probably saving about <laughs> three hours a day, at least. Oh, God. It's so addicting, dude. And oh, the whole world loves it, and I'm, I am a big TikTok fan. I use it often i think it's very funny i have a very niche um group of tiktoks that have been you know fixed the algorithm has fed me a lot of dog tiktoks a lot of progressive (laughs) tiktoks a lot of alt whatever tiktoks um yeah so i love tiktok but fun fact TikTok um, might be banned. Trump wants it to be banned, at least. (laughs) So, fun fact, actually, India has already banned TikTok, which I didn't know. They did it in late June. And that was following some some political conflicts um, and some, like, violent clashes in their country. They also banned Weibo and WeChat. So, those are other Chinese-owned companies. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and India was like a huge base of TikTok. Like there were millions, like hundreds of millions of people using TikTok in their country. Um, wow. And from I was reading a news article about what it's been like for them. And everyone's like, yeah, we hate it. We want it back. <laughs> we miss it. Um, but yeah, so last week, Trump signed an executive order on Thursday, August 6th, that would ban TikTok and WeChat, which are both Chinese-owned um, apps. And he would ban, the, ban them in 45 days if it doesn't find a U.S. buyer. Um, wow. This is not, this has not been very supported by the majority of Americans, a.k.a. the majority of people using TikTok. Um, People are pissed about it. And there's a lot of, there's just a lot of like conversation to be had around what the motive behind this is and what it's really accomplishing. Like, is this a security, national security issue? Is this a terrorism Mm -hmm. issue? Or is it kind of a form of censorship? Um, right. How much can exactly. our government censor? And is this just a form of nationalism that we don't want a Chinese app doing really well in America? Yeah. Yeah. Because I know there's like, yeah, it's being framed right now as an issue of national security that it's been suspected. Well, maybe you'll get to this. But yeah, I know it's been an issue of national security thus far. And I'm very I'm speculating as to how true that is. I mean, I am, too. I mean, TikTok is denying that there is any like data stealing or any I guess espionage going on yeah um they say that it stores their data um for American TikTok on servers in Virginia um and in Singapore so the data is on servers that are not in China technically Mm, I mean the way you access servers depending on how secure they are you can access a server from not being in Virginia not being in Singapore um But the idea is that it would be more secure in that physical location. They also, TikTok is also saying that their CEO is the former Disney executive, Kevin Mayer, and he's an American who lives in LA. Like, he's the CEO. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so there is some arguments that they're using to defend themselves. Um, but it's just the whole situation is very strange right now because for TikTok, um, the US government is basically negotiating publicly a sale because they Trump is saying unless a US buyer buys TikTok we're not going to keep it. So basically they're saying a big US company needs to buy TikTok. Mm-hmm. So publicly there's a kind of this like negotiation going on right now between Microsoft and ByteDance which is the company that owns TikTok. Um, oh, okay. And that's super that's just kind of weird <laughs> like and yeah. there's also a conversation going around about What's going to happen to all these other games if we're going to because if we're going to ban TikTok, then we're going to have to ban all the other Chinese owned Mm, games that are also owned by the same parent companies. So like the company that owns WeChat, the other app that Trump is trying to ban um, is called Tencent and they own video games Mm -hmm. like League of Legends and Fortnite. And they also own the car maker Uh Tesla. Yeah, no, they can't take away our Fortnite. And I'm I'm just thinking, like, (laughs) if they're saying, okay, we're going to buy off WeChat, but Tencent can still keep running all their other programs, like, if they're really that worried about the security, they're kind of turning a blind eye and are going to continue, like, allowing that. It's the same company. So it's just a really interesting situation. And I, yeah, I just was, I enjoyed researching this a bit because people are kind of, 
people who don't use TikTok in the U.S. are kind of like, all right, that's fine. Ban it if it's a security issue. I mean, I've heard things like, yeah, once you download TikTok, it has access to all of your data and your entire all of the apps on your phone. Is that but true? Don't I don't know. All I think the it's... apps on our phone already have access to yeah, all of the information. I, I honestly think that like it's just these rumors that this gossip that's been spread by American nationalism. And I don't know if it's stuff I should believe. Like, I yeah. don't know how dangerous it is. Um, but yeah, it would be nice to have like a real intense negotiate in investigation on the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, at this point, I don't really know. I do know that I love TikTok and I don't really want it to be banned. It's <laughs> a big source is. of happiness for me right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love that. We'll do what makes you happy. Um, I'm going to just hold out a little bit longer, but I will <laughs> say that I don't think I'm saving any time because I'm probably on Instagram discovery page looking at TikTok videos for maybe like one or two hours. So you might as well make the switch. Might as well. Oh. Use the uh, I'm feeling pressure. <laughs> next week, next week. Yes, next week. Hmm. Okay. All right. Moving now into a Black Lives Matter update. So for those of you who don't know or aren't familiar, there still are some Black Lives Matter protests going on in Portland, Oregon. And protesters and law enforcement have had multiple violent clashes since the death of George Floyd this past May. So the most recent incident that took place was this past Sunday when a small group of protesters lit a police union building on fire. And I just want to emphasize again, small fraction, because what I feel like happens a lot of the time is that not only are we using passive language to A, minimize the responsibility that law enforcement plays in these violent clashes, but B, we are also generalizing these flare-ups of crime and arson from protesters to the entire protesting body. And so suddenly the Black Lives Matter movement becomes really demonized. And this is kind of what confuses this movement with those that are protesting for change and those that are just seeking different channels to be seen and heard. So to reiterate, the Black Lives Matter movement is not a violent movement, but in any of these protests and any of these rallies and riots, there will always be microcosms of people that cause, that wreak havoc, that loot, that vandalize, and that is not justification for why the whole movement is null. So, protests are continuing in Portland to demand police restructuring and systemic anti-racism reform. And based on Sunday's most recent infraction, police responded to the incident by using flashbang munitions and smoke canisters. <sighs> and, yeah, and so this, you know, was to de-escalate the situation. Oh, of course. Of course, of course. That's de-escalate <sighs> it. <laughs> <sighs> okay. This incident is one of more mild proportions, but... Just some quick context and backstory as to why this is happening in Portland and other events that have led up to this point. Portland is kind of known for its hodgepodge of people, and I won't even call it racially diverse because the reality is that it really isn't. The black population in Portland is around 6%, and the white population stands at 80%. Whoa. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Whoa. (laughs) So it's not diverse per se, but there's a lot of people with different ideologies and mindsets that are just drawn to Portland. So it invites many different types of people um, from different backgrounds, including that of the political persuasion. So with different, it has different militias. There's multiple militias in Portland, multi-anti-government groups, communists, anarchists, neo-Nazis, fascists, and etc. And so a lot of what's going on in Portland is the extremism that comes with these clashing groups and these clashing identities. And it's the perfect storm for a global movement that takes hold of the whole world, 
all of these, all of this intensifies media coverage in areas around the world that are already having protests and riots and looting. And these extremist groups are drawn to this because they want to be thrown into the, the fray for media attention. So I am in no way trying to minimize the importance of protesting Black Lives Matter. But whereas in Minneapolis, this is the city where George Floyd's murder took place, protests have been quelled because his family actually called for peace. Um, and so as protests have kind of died out in Minneapolis and around the United States, Portland continues to have these microcosmic clashes that I believe are a heavily diluted version of the original intention of the Black Lives Matter movement. So a lot of people now are like, what, what really is the protest about? Um, so yeah, so that's the Portland update. And I just wanted, we just wanted to update you guys about this just because there are still protests going on in the United States and in seeking more information about the direction that the Black Lives Matter movement has now taken, um, a couple months after like protests are starting to die down, I think it's important to just be aware of, you know, in areas where these clashes are still happening, where media coverage is still happening, let's just, you know, educate ourselves about what's actually going on. Yeah, absolutely. And just a reminder that, yes, this the things that are still going on are going on f- like they need attention. And when we turn away and we're not paying attention, um, when people are, I mean, like you were saying, like some of these protests seem to have kind of had these like niche groups come in and try and like make it more of a violent movement, which is really upsetting to see. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's always like the, not the majority of people there are doing that. But anyway, yeah, when we turn a blind eye to these protests, that's when the police are going to start doing sketchy stuff again. Um, mm-hmm. And just to bring up another quick thing you should look up, um, look up Tiana Arada in San Luis Obispo, who has been organizing oh, yeah. peaceful protests for a really long time. And a week or two ago, she was targeted after a peaceful protest that she ran. Um, and people were trying, there was a car that was trying to run people over during the protest. Um, and someone cr- smashed in the window. One person smashed in a window of this car. And because of that, maybe like six cops came up to Tiana, waited until the the protests had kind of um, dispersed a bit and found her and like six cops arrested her. They upped, she had felonies for organizing these peaceful protests they upped mm-hmm. her felonies even more she could spend up to like 12 years in jail now and they oh still my God. tiana arada and just like this it was just such a reminder when i saw that i was like wow when people don't pay attention cops are going to keep doing this like yeah we need to keep being vigilant and keep being active and obviously focus on those peaceful protests but like and and focus on the motive of the protests of course but um, yeah yeah just a reminder to I know that it's been a many months that we've been seeing a lot of hard videos to watch mm-hmm. um, and you take those breaks when you need those breaks, but don't like unfollow the, the accounts that are posting this stuff. Like don't just skip through the stories. Like we need to continue. Like I said, being vigilant, vigilance. A big yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, stay vigilant. I agree. Okay, time for some COVID updates. Another really, okay. really happy topic. Hang in there, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, we're going to be pretty factual right now, but yeah. a lot of stats that I'm going to throw at people. I took this like straight from the New York Times COVID updates page. So just so people know, this is like straight from their website. And this is 
all statistics based off of today, which is August 14th. This is updated daily, but um, at least 1,219 new coronavirus deaths and almost 54,000 new cases were reported in the United States today. Whoa. Actually, that was yesterday, August 13th. Ah, Um, Yep. So over the past week, there have been an average of 53,000 cases per day a decrease of 18% from the average two weeks earlier. So the the average number of cases per day has gone down a bit. It doesn't uh, seem like it, but okay. 3,000 is pretty freaking high. Yeah. Um, and as of today, August 14th, more than 5,306,100 people in the United States have been infected with COVID. Five, just, just to, 5.3 million people mm. in our country God. have been infected. And at least 168,100 people have died, according to a New York Times database. There are places right now that are estimating we have reached over 200,000 deaths in America from okay. COVID. Um, so it depends on where you're getting your information, but okay, very high. Um, yeah. yeah. While daily reported cases have, have dropped slightly, like I said, in the past few weeks, national numbers are still extremely high. Let's not forget this, people. Our country is number one right now, like we always like to say we are, and this we are number one in the <laughs> highest number of cases in the world. <laughs> oh, we're number one, yeah. But yeah, so just a reminder that just because some places may be going down in cases, like Northeast is generally regionally going down in their daily cases and their deaths, it is still not safe to go outside without a mask and not practice social distancing. Retweet. Um, So again, um, deaths though, they're, they're a lot lower than like their peak spring levels um, still reach an average of more than 1000 per day by the first week of August. And that is more than double the average from early July. So like, remember like in spring, we had that really high peak and, a month ago, it kind of went down for a minute, like in in um, early July, it kind of went down a little bit. And now we're back up because things are opening up again. People are just opening stuff up and we're, we're getting more cases because of that. Some are places you yeah. should look out for. Places where cases have shot up in the last two weeks include, just, just try and find a pattern here, Casey. U.S. Virgin Islands, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, and then North hmm. Dakota, Illinois. Okay, is that adding up for you? Because hmm. I'm just thinking people really can't give up their summer vacations, can they? I was going to say, like, if I wanted to go on vacation right now, I'd go to the Virgin Islands, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico, but definitely not North Dakota or Illinois. But, yeah, it's <laughs> I making think sense. I'm, I'm not sure if I, – I know there's a really big um, meat processing plant in South Dakota, but those okay. cases in North Dakota might be dealing with that – that wow. might be that again that i might be misinformed on that don't quote me on that but <laughs> okay i think something's going on in that region um yeah also, um georgia idaho texas california and arkansas have maintained their very high rates they're not really going down um hmm. also nevada has maintained pretty high death rates along with like california texas georgia um wow overall florida currently holds the highest number of towns that have the highest number of cases per resident um so they have like nine nine of the ten towns um that have the highest number of cases per resident in their town are florida towns 
Of course. Um, again, beach as much. Like, <laughs> this shit's adding up for me. It's August. I wish I was, like, tanning at the beach, but. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's just my little update on COVID stuff. Just a reminder to people that um, it's not safe. <laughs> no. You might feel like it's just safe. You might be over this shit just like me and Casey are, but it doesn't mean we're going to stop being safe. So, please. Yeah. I know you miss your friends. I know a lot of people are going back to school. I know a lot of people are going back to school with the plan of probably coming home two weeks later because there'll be an outbreak. So, yeah, what is the, what is the logic behind that? Somebody tell me. I, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. But people are like prepped. There was I don't know if you saw it, but there was this um, picture, a screenshot of a Snapchat chat of a Pritchard like freshman hall group. And they were oh. staying in, which I was in Pritchard. If you don't know, Pritchard was a dorm in Virginia Tech. It mm-hmm. is. It's one of the biggest dorms. I think it is the biggest dorm. It's like 900 kids. Yeah, I think um, so. And these kids were saying in the Snapchat group, um, we might as well like just party and live it up before they send us home. Like we're, we're going to get oh, COVID God. anyway. So we might as well. I was like, oh, you idiots. guys look like idiots right now. Yeah. And all of their names were exposed. <laughs> like, oh, uh, so God. don't be like those people. And also, don't be, like, hiding that you're hanging out with a bunch of people either, because that's just as bad. That'll be on your conscience. Yeah. <laughs> that will. <laughs> and then you'll get COVID, uh, so that's, no one wants that. No. So do the right thing, people. <laughs> mm, I shouldn't be laughing, but. I know, I know. Okay. It's like, it's just, we've talked about so much at this point that it's, like, I don't mean to sound desensitized, but. I'm, I know, like, but it's kind I'm of a like... broken record, but, like, don't be stupid. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Exactly. And on the topic of coronavirus cases that are shooting up, there's also some schools that plan on reopening this fall. Um, And so I have to tell you, Abby, that when I Googled this topic to get some background, the first article that came up was from the CDC. And I kid you not, the title of this article is, quote, the importance of reopening schools this fall. (laughs) What? And yeah, so I gagged. And then I got really scared. (laughs) For real, I was just like, we just talked about, you know, cases are still rising in the U.S. Why is the Center for Disease Control encouraging people to go back this fall? Um, okay. So I want to share this statement first, and then I'm going to go off a little bit. I'm excited. Um, I'm ready. So, okay. Get ready. So this is a quote from the article. Death rates among school-aged children are much lower than among adults. At the same time, the harms attributed to closed schools on the social, emotional, and behavioral health economic well-being and academic achievement of children in both the short and long term are well-known and significant. Um, So, again, you mean to tell me that we are more concerned with the academics, um, academic achievements of children than we are with the actual lives of these children? And I feel like we always knew this to be true, but like now here's the proof in the wording. And again, I'm going to use ludicrous. It is absolutely ludicrous. Luda. Luda. (laughs) (laughs) it is absolutely ludicrous to suggest that people's academic well-being will be more affected than their overall health when going to school increases the risk of contracting the virus by of course exposing children to a petri dish of other family households and situations Mm -hmm. i also want to highlight quickly that a few months ago we were warned of a disease found in children that was said to be caused by initial contraction of the virus and so this disease is called multi-system inflammatory syndrome And this basically means inflammation of different parts of the body, including that of the major organs, such as the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, you know, all the important ones. So, what's the truth and where isn't the lie? 
And furthermore, to suggest that it benefits their economic well-being, I really have to just take a second because we know good and well that low-income families are being hit harder by the virus right now. And they will continue to be hit harder by the virus in multiple aspects, such as employment and access to health care. So it's not just that, but let's not also forget that we are all locked down at home for five months. It wasn't because it wasn't only older people that could get the virus. It was everybody. So everybody was locked down during this time of quarantine. And we know now that it's especially children that are known to be asymptomatic carriers for the virus. So where are all the All Lives Matter people at now? Somebody tell me. Anyways, this is what our government institutions are telling us. So now I'm going to give you some real facts about the virus and all that good stuff. Oh, I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. So the American Academy of Pediatrics and Children's Hospital Association did a study and found that 338,000 kids in the U.S. have been diagnosed with coronavirus. And we all know how the statistic reports of testing are going so far, so just take that as you will. Mm. Um, So 97,000 of these cases were diagnosed at the end of July. So we have been in the midst of coronavirus in the United States since March, and 97,000 of those Mm. cases, one-third of those cases, were just diagnosed at the end of July. And you know it's also one-third is the amount of children that were admitted to the hospital for coronavirus that end up in the ICU. And this is the same percentage as it is for adults. One-third of adults that are admitted to hospitals to be treated for coronavirus end up in the ICU. So if we're following the same trajectory of statistics, then it actually makes no difference. All of the statements from the CDC and everything that's going on saying that children are less affected by the virus are null. Like, they're being treated at the same levels as adults. So, black and Hispanic children are five to eight times more likely to require hospitalization for coronavirus than their white counterparts. So why in this article are we talking about economic impact and emotional well-being when all of these things are already disproportionately affected amongst minority groups so what are we doing i am this we (laughs) are we are you are people dumb like like we were just talking about i'm i'm just flabbergasted like i totally i absolutely understand like i worked at a summer camp i went to a summer camp for 10 years like I absolutely understand the impact that a good mentor can have on a kid and how important it is to have education in people's lives, like an active education. Like I fully support the, you know, public school system, like all of that. But like you were saying, like, especially those communities um, of people that are, you know, like minorities, for example, and people in more impoverished communities, those are the people Mm -hmm that are getting that are more susceptible to getting covid and are are going to have the harder time recovering from covid and yeah at also I don't have an exact statistic on this but I know this impoverished communities are obviously underfunded in their school systems mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. means that they have fewer teachers hired they have bigger classroom sizes and so what does that mean more kids are going to be in the same room at one yeah. time during covid and are going to spread it to more families because they're not going to be practicing social distancing standards and fewer teachers are going to want to come anyway. Like, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to add that there's a really interesting episode on the daily podcast that was from this week um, on the topic of teachers fighting to not go back to school and teachers unions, what they're demanding for 
those teachers safety and a lot of teachers being like listen I love my kids of course I want to go back to school and I, I of course I don't want to teach over zoom but I also don't want to die and I don't want to yeah. put my kids at risk yeah. like it's just such a weird battle that like I, I've, I've heard so many intellectual conversations on like the news and everything about about the risk and if it's worth the risk mm-hmm. and I've also seen so because I'm in this camp community right I've seen so many summer camps that the few that did stay open have insane outbreaks if we oh my god insane outbreaks that they just bring back to their families um like you said it's a petri dish and if we don't if we if we're not extremely pragmatic about how we bring about kids going back to school like it's just gonna be it's gonna be horrible yeah Yeah. I mean like like the colleges too like kids just going back to college right now and having classes in person at least those a lot of those places are more funded than like a lot of public schools yeah yeah unfortunately this is one of those things like we're just kind of gonna have to see how all of this unfolds but I think what's most important and what we've talked about before and also what I'm realizing for myself is that in a time like this where we just get so much information we're like inundated by information from government organizations and media outlets it really is important to just take a quick assessment of like what is the best option for me I'm, I'm obviously I'm not a parent I'm not a mother and I'm not in a position to really say this but I feel like you know, if I had a family at this point in time, I would be considering keeping my kids at home. Yeah. I mean, and it's so hard because I also know that a lot of parents are like, I need my kids out of, like, I need to work. I need yeah. my kids out of my house, but they also want to keep their kids safe. Like, how yeah. do you, the fact that avoid they getting that. sick themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's do <sighs> it. <laughs> Resource time. Okay. I yeah. honestly, because we talked about so many things, I'm not going to talk about my resources. I'm just going to put them in the description. So things like okay. anything involving the Beirut explosion, just go to the description. I'll have links to um, to, to places you can donate down there. Um, and okay. we will link all of our resources that we use for this. Like just a crap ton of articles will also be in the description. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you guys yeah want to fact check any of the information or just revisit any of the statistics that we shared, that article that I quoted from the CDC and other information about the Postal Service, that's going to be linked in the description. Um, I do have a couple resources. Again, like you said, not to inundate anybody, but there is a petition going on right now. So, yeah. So basically, this is a petition for Congress and the White House to fully fund the U.S. Postal Service in the next stimulus bill. And so this basically just makes the U.S. Postal Service less reliant on kind of the whimsy of like legislation um, and just make sure that our mail is going to get where it's supposed to go on time when it's supposed to get there and makes it less subject to change. Um, so yeah, link in the description to go sign that, um, to stay up to date, I wanted to share something that's been really beneficial for me, and this is the OZ Daily Brief. So OZ is a political and news platform for not only like national news, but also international news, and I get this in my email inbox every day, and it basically sums up, um, the news in a paragraph or less, like a tiny paragraph or less. And there's like podcast links, there's article links, it's very visual. And for somebody like me that doesn't like, you know, seek out news really, 
Um, this is great for me to just stay up to date. So I wake up, go through my email, check my OZ daily brief, and I am up to date with what's going on in the world. The other thing, of course, I have to plug C-SPAN, my employer alma mater. <laughs> um, C-SPAN is a nonpartisan political media, and I can't stress to you guys enough right now how important it is to seek out nonpartisan media outlets, especially during an election year. There's so much media bias. There's so much information being thrown at us at any given time. I just encourage you all to empower yourself with the facts. Stick to the facts, if nothing else. And it's our right as people to have information and to be informed. So although Instagram is a convenient source for information, it's quick, it's easy, and you're already on Instagram, it is a very biased source. So make sure you fact check before you share things on your social media and make sure you fact check the, peti the petitions that you're signing and the opinions and thoughts that you're forming based on the accounts that you're following. Yes. Yes. So that is also, all I will say about that. Also, I wanted to share, if you still have a student email account, there are a lot of discounted new media outlets that you should be taking advantage of. The one that mm. I use is the New York Times. And because I have a student email and I signed up when I was before I graduated. I can't remember exactly what they ask you, but you can get a subscription to the New York Times for like three bucks or five bucks. It's like super cheap for me. Um, and that means oh, that good. I have good access to, to all the articles and everything on my phone or on my computer. Um, and again, it's like a great source. So you should look at whatever media outlet you would prefer, something like Washington Post, New York Times, um, What's other good ones? I don't know. Those are like the popular ones near us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would really just recommend get a subscription. Like, let's be adults now and be, be big <laughs> girls and like get yeah. a cheap subscription to a, an, like just an online. Mine is just online, but it's such yeah. an easy way to be able to like look up anything that's happening in the news and there'll definitely be articles on it. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really cheap, guys. It's like less than your Spotify subscription. So would recommend. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. In this episode, we gave you a brief overview of politics and world news. We talked about Kamala Harris. Uh, we talked about the banning of TikTok and a little bit about hacking and speculation around it. We talked about the U.S. postal system and how it's being affected during an election year, the Black Lives Matter movement, and we gave you guys some updates on what's going on in Portland, Oregon. We talked about the explosion in Beirut, schools opening and virus spikes in the United States. And then we dropped some resources for you guys so that you can stay involved and stay informed. Wow. Okay. We covered so yeah. much. Everyone take a deep we breath. Did. Like that was a lot. Whew. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Bye guys. Bye.